Welcome to People Huffing People, the podcast for social entrepreneurs who want to build a social impact business and increase their sustainability footprint. I'm your host, Adam Morris, and I'm excited to introduce Graham Stewart, founder of Fiber 52, which is reinventing the cotton production process to tackle the environment hazard and the typical textile production. So to share his journey and speak about textiles and the environment, Graham, welcome on the podcast. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for inviting me on the pod. I'm excited to be with you. Can we start off? Can you just tell us a little bit about what Fiber 52 is? Yeah, it's a new way to bleach and dye cotton. Cotton goes through, mainly goes through a bleaching process before it actually gets dyed. That's to get the impurities out of the cotton, which sometimes don't look good. Uh, Let's put it that way, in, in a finished product. And so... What happens and has happened for decades is that the industry uses very heavy products or alkalized to get to get the impurities out of the cotton, which is mainly vegetable matter. But what I've done is worked on a bioprocess, which is more gentle, because mm. once, once you do actually try and get those impurities out and you're bleaching as well, that really does degrade the cellulose or the cotton quite significantly in some cases. This process is much, much gentler. We don't use the heavy chemicals, we just use bioproducts. And therefore, you know, it's better all around for the environment in that, you know, we also save a lot of water, time, energy, and, and so on. Before we go into the specifics of that process, it sounds like you've had, you know, quite a substantial career working in textile. I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey and, and how you got into realizing, yeah, we need to make make something new. Sure, thank you. Yeah, I began life as a dyer myself in that we were the largest commission dyers in, in Europe. So I started there when I was 15 years old and, and studied part-time for my degree, which is in, in coloration, textile coloration. And in my town, we had the biggest dye stuff manufacturer in the world just a few hundred yards from where I was born. So I was kind of born into this industry. But we had yeah, 6,000 people making really advanced dye stuff. So the, the reactive dyes that are used on cotton now were pretty much invented in that in that factory. They've progressed through the years. That, that was in 1956. I really enjoyed dyeing. I, I still do. It's a, it's a great passion for me. So I've always been involved. Whatever I've done in textiles, which has not always been dyeing, I've always managed to get involved in, in dyeing and I've never really spent a month without dying throughout my career. But yeah, I, I progressed from there into into fabrics. The company I worked with, we were the largest consumer of cashmere in the world. Um, we made knitwear, yarns, knitwear, fabrics, you name it. It was quite a large textile group. I expanded into the US. That's where I got back into cotton again in that we bought mills making cotton fabrics and cotton garments. And we had about 6,000 people here in the States, so... I was spending a lot of time here in the States in those days and, and very much involved in, in cotton processing again. So, you know, fast forward, um, yeah, I've lived all over the world, been involved in textiles in Italy, Australia, Hong Kong, China, and then back to the US. So I've been 10 years here now. I was working on dye and wool, <laughs> would you believe? But in the time I was in a dye house in, in North Carolina, I noticed that they'd asked me to have a look at their recipes. They're having problems with dyeing cotton. And I looked at the recipes, and this is nearly three years ago. I was quite surprised to see things hadn't changed much, even since, you know, when I first started working, which was, you know, nearly 50 years ago now. It hadn't changed. 
a great deal. At that point, I really didn't have a, a eureka moment. It was just that I tried to dye the cotton in a better way. That was it. And this took quite a while. A lot of trial and error and a lot of error really managed to start and use byproducts repeatedly. So what I was really making sure of that this this process was absolutely and utterly foolproof and that people didn't have to do anything different. They didn't have to change their recipes, change the dyeing machines, invest in new dyeing machines. Um, the, the good thing about this process as it is, coal fiber 52, is that we can transfer it anywhere in the world in no time. So it virtually takes an email and you've got it and you can use your existing machinery, your existing dye stuffs. But that's also a downside. The fact that you can transfer it so quickly means that we've had a lot of work with our learned friends, the lawyers, and they actually held us back advisedly for quite a while until we could make sure our patents were far enough down the line that we had, you know, good IP protection around the world. Now, for for people that are listening, what are some of the environmental issues that are common when dyeing textiles? Well, one big issue is, is water. In some cases, it's less of an issue because the newer dyeing machines using less water is still an issue and then sticking on water it's the effluent it's what do you put into the ground or you know what you release out of a, a machine that's got us uh, had heavy chemicals in there what's going into what's going into the water supplies what's you know what's going into the ground so that with using byproduct helps a great deal as you can imagine but Basically, the big deal is energy. And around the world, as you know, energy is in supply getting much more expensive. And this process uses much less energy in that the big breakthrough I had with the bioproduct is that one product catalyzes the others. So we're able to do the whole process much faster than normal, at lower temperatures than normal. And therefore, we're saving a lot of energy in like heating the water and not going to a high temperature, just doing it at lower temperatures, and then much faster. So we can save up to, and I use these words advisedly, up to 70% of the energy that's normally used, which is which is a big deal when you think that cotton is the second largest fibre on earth after polyester. And it's natural, by the way, which is which helps. But yeah, so if we can save all that energy, and we can save water, and we can save time in process, then, you know, that's really where our work is now in commercializing that around the world. Have you commercialized something like this before? Um, yeah, I, I have. I, you know, about work in the wool industry, I had a few patents, which is some of the ideas I have to be honest came from that in working with wool and trying to protect it. You know, again, it's a beautiful fiber, very complicated fiber, but it needs to be it needs to be protected from the heavy chemicals that. It can come in contact with and so quite a bit of that work has really helped me with this to, to be honest that's fascinating what's it been like starting a new venture like this and rolling it out have, have there been any barriers or- yeah it's exciting I, I gotta tell you you know it's really in, the, in my stage of career you know it's really great to get out of bed in the morning and have something really objective to go to and yeah there, there have been barriers you can imagine an industry that's pretty much the same thing for the last 70 80 years really you know there is some barriers to change but we're working through those and you know once processes actually see that this whole process does work and it's easy then then yes we get we get the buy-in but really where we've we've pivoted to work with brands as well, because the brands all involved, you know, getting a lot of pressure these days, depending where you are in the world, 
getting a lot of pressure with from the environment and people who are involved in the environment and trying to do better for the environment. That pressure is on. And for instance, we're doing a lot of work in Europe right now. And there's a great deal of legislation. I, I don't have a day where I don't spend literally hours on the phone with, with my colleagues in Europe looking at certifications and looking at measuring you know, measuring Fibre 52. And we're doing actually two LCAs right now, life cycle analysis, one in Asia, one in Europe. And we already have one. We show in real time just how much energy and how much water we're saving, what the carbon footprint is and so on. The one that we've done here in the US from the data that we've got here is showing up to 50% just about in everything, savings in water, the carbon footprint, the energy and time and so on. We're working with processes in particularly in Europe because we can measure every time they do they do dye something. So for instance, we're doing yarn dyeing there, we're doing garment dyeing there, we're doing fabric dyeing. And every time we do that, we now monitor it and we save all the data and that goes to a university in, in Europe. They run that data against what is traditionally being done. So at least we have a like for like, you know, we, we can't just go out there and say, oh, we're saving all this energy and so on without actually comparing it to what we're saving against. It's a, a big comparison against what's already out there. Now, is there a lot of data already for companies when they're doing that? Is that something they naturally record? No, there's not. Very little, surprising. Yeah. So that's why every time we do it in a, in a new mill, we also do it with a tr traditional process as well so we can show them like for like, um, you know, how much energy they have saved and so on, but also how strong is the cotton versus what it was before. And we're showing a big difference in strength. So that durability is really interesting to a lot of brands right now. Got it. I've never really thought about that, but what does that durability mean? It just means that your clothing lasts longer, which is, again, a big deal. And, and probably, we haven't got right into this, but we could probably recycle the cotton more than we could because recycling really beats up the material and often in many cases the recycled products the fibers are shortened to a point where they can only be used in very simple things like insulation they can't be made back into apparel which is you know a big goal for many companies right now from for brands and manufacturers alike i'm curious people's response has been like to fiber 52 from a consumer point of view, we don't have much feedback yet. Most of our feedback is from industry, universities, certifying bodies, which, as I say, we're working with many certifying bodies right now. And the word's getting out, you know, so it won't be long before consumers will see 552. And we want to put out a lot of information with that, make sure there are hang tags, make sure that people can go to a website and see you know, the product that they wear and see that it is a sustainable product and see it is a stronger product and see it just perform better. One of the things there that we're working on is that in leaving cotton in its more natural state, we get a big performance aspect to it. In the past, what's happened is fluorocarbons have been used, which I think they're called forever, forever chemicals in that they don't ever get out of the system. You know, they'll be there in 20,000 years. And too many of those have been used. And there's there's actually a really good film about that, which is all about those fluorocarbons contaminating water here in the US. And mainly they're getting banned now. So they're very restricted in their use anyway in, in, in apparel. But this process means that you can 
have all those performance attributes naturally rather than having to apply something. Now, a moment ago, you started to touch on the recycling process of, of these continents. Like, in your view, like, how does the circular economy come into play in the textile industry? Uh, well, it's been around a long time. When I was a kid in my town and nearby towns, we had a lot of recycling going on. It's now just getting into the consumer view and, and really seeing how important it is to try and recycle products in, yeah, you know, even though our process is mainly on new product, new products going to be with us for a while, but there's no doubt that recycling is, is beneficial and more and more product is being recycled. And that's again, uh, an objective fact of 52 is that we, we wish one to work with recycled products, but also make sure that the product can be satisfactorily recycled. And it sounds like there's a, a lot of barriers to that because what you were mentioning was like the, the fibers just get shorter over time. Well, not all recycling processes are so gentle because again, in, in recycling over the years, heavy chemicals are used. Mm. So it's not quite as green as you might think in some cases. In other cases, there are many processes now where those heavy chemicals are not being used. And even, you know, there are a number of companies who are recycling even synthetic fibers and putting them back into fabrics. But yeah, the, the recycling processes themselves are building just more and more and more of it. And it becomes better and better and greener and greener as we, as we continue. What's your vision for Fiber 52? Our vision is for it to be used day in, day out worldwide to replace really what's going on right now. We see it happening. You know, the, the process is being adapted quite widely throughout the world now. That's why I'm saying the consumers are about to see Fiber 52 because it, it actually is being used and commercialized. So yeah, the future, which I don't know how long away that will be. And if I had my crystal ball, I'd tell you, it's, it's going to be a while, slowly but surely, I think we can replace the, the traditional processing with this more environmentally friendly process for yeah. Fiber 52. I mean, that's fascinating that you said from your experience when you started till today, the processes haven't changed that much. And so it seems like there's a lot of room for improvement. There is, yeah, the, the, there's no doubt about that. And that's, uh, you know, what's exciting. That, that's really why Fiber 52 came about in that there have been many, many attempts to have a more sustainable process and, you know, incremental benefits there, but nothing really replacing the whole process, replacing the bleaching, the whitening, and the, and the cleaning of the cotton uh, right through to the finished article that hasn't happened until now until fiber 52. Right. so what does that mean exactly so basically we replace one particular very heavy product alkali product which in some countries is already being restricted not banned yet but it's been very much restricted due to its environmental issues and so we replace that altogether so that is the, the big deal, and that's written into all our patents. But, you know, secondly, it's back to all the environmental issues. But handling the products and working with them is just the same as any processor would do any day. It's just a different product. How can listeners support what you're doing? One, it starts with the brands in that they can adapt and they can really educate consumers as to how they're helping in the environment and using a more sustainable process. And they can also, with swing tags and, and drawing people into 
websites on the internet you know we can start and give more information and you can see it brands are working hard on giving that information now and and really consumers are demanding it also um, there's certain things that consumers should look for when they're looking to see hey is this brand doing something better or worse in buying any product from that respect any textile product certainly whether it be a home furnishing or whether it be the, the apparel that you're wearing, you know, you should try and find out where it's come from, you know, where the fibers have come from, how it's been treated, you know, is it environmentally friendly or, or isn't it? Is it a natural fiber or is it one that's come from petrochemicals? You know, that's a very basic start to it. And that's what we're trying to promote to get more and more information from consumers maybe where they can read a label either a label that's sewn into a garment or sewn onto a product and others which may be removable but you know lead you to a website and and so on so you can really see where those products are coming from it's not always easy as you probably well know but it is getting better it is getting easier and one last question like how has this changed you personally having developed this and put this out two years ago i could never have even imagined this because i hadn't planned it it just you know, happened by trial and error. And so, yeah, now my life has changed. One, recently, because we are dealing all around the world, so there aren't enough hours in the day, you know, so you have early and late calls and plenty in between. But it also means that it changes the way I work in that I also have to be out in America in the processing plants because that's my background. But also training a lot of other people around the world. We also have big staff ourselves, so we have two PhDs on our team who are also working in other parts of the world to educate people who are out in the field and also work with the mills, send them information and so on. So yeah, that's that's quite a different life to the one I, I led where I was more involved in management, you know, and day-to-day -day management. And so I'm back to the coal face, as it were. Yeah. Getting in the weeds. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's what I ask everybody to do is to keep me out of the weeds best they can because... It's easy to get in there, I have to say. Now, I, actually, one, one more question. I, I spent nine years living in London. Do you have a favorite team? Yeah, Huddersfield Town, because I was born there. Now, <laughs> I was born literally a few hundred yards from the from the stadium when we had a great team. Because of that, my allegiance is to Huddersfield. But I love watching the London teams. I mean, you know, great to see Arsenal doing well again. And I, one of my closest friends, one of the guy I grew up with, played for Tottenham. So I, I always have a soft spot for Tottenham but uh, yeah I'm football crazy so you know Saturday morning I'm up at seven watching the games yeah so that's one thing I miss about the UK I don't miss the weather I, I do miss soccer well thank you so much for joining me today this has just been brilliant we covered kind of your journey into this and in your experience like how you saw the need and how you're able to develop a solution which cuts down on the environmental waste typically produced by the textile industries I'm very excited to see what comes next and how that unfolds well, thanks, Adam. I, I hope we can keep in touch and we can see what happens. And we look forward to the future. And thanks, thanks for inviting me on the podcast. If you're listening, you can find out more on the show notes or if you visit fiber52.com. Yeah, there's lots of information there and more coming. Thank you. Thank you too.